everybody wants to be the best that they can be, right? But the problem with that comes when that means that we're always dissatisfied with where we're at. And there's a lot of peace that can be found when we find satisfaction where we're at. And that doesn't mean we don't keep striving, but we, again, if we come to the present moment with where we're at right now, we can always find good things there. The mm -hmm. idea that we ha always have to be doing something different or better is a bit of a slight on where we're at right now. So it's, yes. you want to keep moving forward and finding acceptance for where we're at right now. There's a huge amount of peace in not constantly striving to perfect our sleep, perfect our diet, to perfect our workout. Welcome to Wellness Club Podcast. I'm Mara Miranda. And I am Roberta Calabro. This podcast is about bringing more wellness states into your life. Through guest experts' interviews around holistic health and wellness practices, inspirational stories, lessons, and a new mindset. Our mission is to inspire people to heal, to raise consciousness, to live a better life. But more than just a better life. But a life full of joy, manifestations, and synchronicities. We also have the Wellness Club Marketplace, a platform for holistic health and wellness services, events, and experiences, where we connect practitioners and the public. If you want to find complementary healing therapies, wellness events, experiences, and retreats, or if you are a practitioner offering those services, go to www.wellnessclub.com. Join our community today. This podcast is sponsored by X Club House Tulum, a co-working and event space, and Hotel Sanja Bacalar, a magical spot known as the Maldives of Mexico. Contact them directly to get a 10% discount on your membership or reservation. Today we are interviewing Tracy Hannigan, a qualified sleep therapist recognized by the Society for Behavioral Sleep Medicine. She works exclusively with adults with insomnia using evidence-based approaches. We will be talking about the relationship between sleep, stress, and anxiety. Tracy shines a light on some common interesting issues caused by our modern society and lifestyle. One of them, for example, how sometimes obsession with improving, optimizing, and tracking our sleep might create more stress and anxiety around sleep, and much more. Tracy is one of the Wellness Club practitioners and you can find the link for her profile and services in our Marketplace platform in the description of this podcast. Hello, hello, hello. Today I'm here with Tracy Hannigan. She's a sleep therapist and the topic is going to be around stress and anxiety. We know that this is a growing concern for a lot of people. And I will let Tracy introduce herself, talk a little bit about her work, and let's take from there. Tracy, thank you. Great. Thank Thanks. you so much for Thanks joining so us. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here. Again, my name is Tracy Hannigan. I'm a qualified sleep therapist recognized by the Society for Behavioral Sleep Medicine. And I work exclusively with adults with insomnia using only evidence-based approaches. No fluff, no anecdote, only the things that actually really work. And I'm really passionate about it because a lot of these methods are not widely available because there's simply not enough people who know how to use them. And, and certainly when we're talking about stress and anxiety and sleep and the connection, there's a lot there to talk about. So I get quite excited about it. You might have to tell me to be quiet. <laughs> Beautiful. Yes, I think you touched in a really interesting point because, of course, sleep is a natural thing. We all do. Sometimes we don't recognize how important it is and how we can take actions to get under this under more control and how this can influence our health and our life, how we feel. So I think it's really important to bring this knowledge that it's much more important and it does need specialist help and support. Yes, and a lot of times people get on what I call the hamster wheel of trying lots of things and that can become quite a soul-destroying place to be. I hear stories all the time, I tried this, I've tried that, I've tried this, I've tried that and their confidence becomes eroded. 
and it becomes a bit of a vicious circle and a little bit of a trap. And part of what I love about what I do is helping shine a light on how that becomes a trap and how we accidentally get in our own way because of our anxiety around sleep and the stress that not sleeping creates that actually can fuel the problem. Mm -hmm. It's really a very interesting dynamic because stress and anxiety, especially when it's about sleep, can make sleep worse and creates a vicious Mm -hmm. circle. And then when we're not sleeping well, we're much more prone to feeling the effects of stress and anxiety. So it really does become something that can be complicated to unwind and is not as simple as picking up a supplement at the health food store. Yes, big point with the external things we look at we try to mask the root cause of the problem by treating the symptoms i think yeah, this is a exactly. big thing yeah and it never works for long really needs to anything that we it's, it's true for anything in life really you really get to need to get to the root of it in order mm-hmm. to create lasting change yeah definitely now in terms of because we're talking about stress and anxiety could you explain a little bit about the role of sleep in stress and anxiety from maybe scientific standpoint are there any evidences around the subject of course we know that there are many in recent years i think there is more light in this subject but what are your your thoughts on that or what can you bring around this theme Yeah, it is really interesting because of that bi-directional relationship. So I guess we have to choose which direction to begin with when it comes to the relationship between sleep and anxiety Mm -hmm. and stress. So if we start from the stress and anxiety angle and how that affects sleep, it's actually a very normal and natural thing when we're experiencing upset or excitement. Stress is not always a negative thing. Sometimes we experience positive stress. And we put ourselves in a state of what we call arousal. This state of arousal, by its necessity, interferes with sleep. And it's an evolutionary thing. If we weren't awake when we were stressed, we would not be running away from the bear who was chasing us out of the cave. Uh, It doesn't matter how tired you are, what time time of day or night it is, if our arousal system and our stress system has kicked in, we shouldn't be sleeping. It's not adaptive to sleep. So our system is designed to turn the sleep down or turn it off when we're in that kind of state. And that happens because when we get into that fight and flight and flee kind of place, our nervous system is telling our body and brain to crank out hormones to help prepare our muscles for action, increase our blood pressure, gets our heart rate up, our eyes become more sensitive. None of these things are really conducive to deep sleep, right? And so we all go through periods of that, whether you're having a bereavement or you're getting married or you're changing jobs or you're moving house. It's normal to not sleep well when that's happening because of that basically chemical consequence of the excitement and the arousal. Now, when we start looking at the other direction, when people aren't sleeping well, they become more sensitive to stress and anxiety. And our brains become really good at doing a few unhelpful things. We often talk about the things we don't do well when we don't sleep, but it does certain things really well. One is that we become very good at focusing on the negative. Mm. So the literature says basically focusing on the negative, perseverating about things. So if we're really good at thinking about negative things and we're becoming really good at perseverating, that's already setting us up for more stress. It becomes more difficult to think outside the box and to think creatively and to creatively problem solve. And actually, that's a real key to actually coming out the hole of not sleeping well, is learning to change your thinking and to create a different kind of thinking around sleep. So we're stressed and then we suddenly become stressed about not sleeping sleeping that is what spins the washing cycle and perpetuate sleeplessness so it goes from short-term sleeplessness because of stress and anxiety to longer-term sleeplessness because we're now worried about the sleeping piece and the Mm -hmm. more we worry about the sleeping piece the worse we'll sleep and then we worry even more and then people's sleep deteriorates over time and people become better at perseverating thinking negatively and having a hard time finding their way forward in a a creative and more helpful way. So that is how the vicious circle 
basically takes stress and a normal adaptive stress response from temporarily not sleeping well to longer term sleeping difficulties. And obviously not sleeping well sets up a whole host of physical responses as well. So it can become physically stressful to not sleep. We've all been there. Yeah, (laughs) It's not pleasant. So understanding this dynamic can go a long way to pointing a finger at where do we start to effectively manage sleeping issues in the long term or prevent them from developing in the first place. It actually is around the anxiety about sleep piece. Yes. Um, I look at all this whole span of sleep disorders. There are over 85 now sleep disorders. Insomnia itself is very unique in that it is characterized by this arousal response, whereas the others are not. It's almost its own, its own, its own little category. And that's because of this anxiety component. Now you mentioned a lot about the insomnia, but what about, does it work on the other side as well? People that maybe want to sleep too much or this would not be affected by the sleeping, sleep coaching. So with the sleep therapy that I do is specifically these techniques work for people with insomnia. Mm-hmm. Our other behavior, we call this whole category of treatment, a behavioral sleep medicine. There mm-hmm. are behavioral sleep medicine interventions for other sleep disorders, including hypersomnia. So people who as a standard sleep a lot of hours, uh, mm-hmm. a lot more than what we would call normal, although I hate the word normal. <laughs> People who have hypersomnias, there are some interventions, but that is not the population that I work with. I've not been trained in that, but cognitive behavioral therapy and acceptance and commitment therapies for insomnia, they're different from normal CBT and normal Mm -hmm. ACT. They're changed for insomnia specifically. Those are the evidence-based approaches for insomnia. How they would apply to other populations is a bit out, outside of my scope, but I know yes. that there are behavioral medicine interventions that might be different for those kinds of conditions. But they're often also managed medically because there's a lot larger biological component when you're looking at some of these other sleep disorders. Wow, that's powerful. This is to go to say again how much depth we have around this topic. If you have you could go on different, all day long, <laughs> how would you call like these different types of uh, sleep support or sleep guidance? How would they be called? For insomnia, what we do is we pull from a, a, a behavioral sleep medicine interventions. Cognitive behavioral therapy for insomnia is a subset of them, and if you if you do the strict research-based method it essentially mm-hmm. comprises of a handful four or five specific techniques the work that i do blends some cbti uh, again and it's different from regular cbt mm-hmm. and some of the acti components together because sometimes i think the biggest pitfall for people who are not sleeping well who have long-term insomnia is they become obsessively fixated on sleeping fixing their sleeping difficulties And this actually fuels the fire of the insomnia because it keeps telling the safety brain of ours, which is the arousal system, that we're in deep danger. We're being chased by a bear. And Mm -hmm. actually some of the acceptance and commitment therapy approaches about trying to let go of the control, they're the hardest for some people, but they can be the most effective in the long run. CBTI uses a couple of different techniques to help with the biological side of sleep and sleep drive. But sometimes people can't use those approaches because it's not, they aren't safe and appropriate for everybody. People have to be screened for other sleep disorders and it's important to apply them correctly. So they're not appropriate for people with really low levels of sleep. So they have to be adapted. Sometimes they don't have to be used at all because the cognitive pieces, learning to think about how we think about sleep and to change our perspective on our need to control sleep, just dropping that helps drop the anxiety around not sleeping. Mm -hmm. And suddenly people can sleep better. In life, we're taught the harder you work at something and the more you train and the more you know, the more you get your hands around something, the more likely you are to reach your outcome. And actually with sleep, it's completely different. 
Um, it's the opposite, actually. The more we can not think about our sleep, not worry about our sleep, the better we will sleep. So you can see how some people would find it a bit of a conundrum to say, I do have a sleeping issue. Why should I not be trying to fix it? And this is where it gets really juicy because coming to feeling neutral about not sleeping is really the long-term goal, but it doesn't mean that you don't do anything about it. It doesn't mean that you lay there and say, I'm just not going to sleep for the rest of my life because nobody wants that. It's about finding the balance. Mm -hmm. Not sleeping is uncomfortable, but it is not the same as being chased by a bear. So we have to retrain this arousal response, this anxious stress response to not sleeping in order to become a little bit more neutral about it. And that's what the sleep therapy really is all about. It's about retraining our brain and therefore retraining our feelings and our thoughts around not sleeping. So that way sleep can come back to us because the yes. fact that we're not sleeping when we're stressed out about not sleeping actually proves that the system is working perfectly. Exactly. <laughs> we're just getting in the way a little bit with our big human brain. It's this idea of actually accepting that actually my body is trying to protect me. Everything is working well. It's okay. And allowing yourself to just pass through that and say there is nothing yes, wrong very... because sometimes we feel like there is something wrong here. And then that is what creates this loop. But once you say, no, actually my body is trying to protect me. Everything, it's okay. I can allow myself. Yeah, you right? can even say, thank you, brain. I appreciate that you're trying to help me out here. Um, but I'm going to cho choose to go and view things this way. And a lot of people mm -hmm. feel powerless and don't realize they have a choice in how they mm -hmm. interpret not sleeping. Mm -hmm. It can be very empowering for people to, to realize that actually how they are unconsciously choosing to respond to the situation is fueling the problem. Classic mm -hmm. example would be somebody who is upset and anxious because they don't fall asleep until two o'clock in the morning. Three months ago, they were probably just in this example, and it's not uncommon. Mm -hmm. Three months ago, they went out two nights a week and they went out with their friends and they didn't get back home until three o'clock in the morning and they weren't worried about missing the sleep then. And the mm. difference is... They, things were exactly the way they wanted them to be. They were happy being out, but they're not sleeping when they don't, when they want to be sleeping. So it's actually, they're upset about the present situation rather than the situation itself that fuels mm -hmm. the problem. Yes. Yeah. But what about if they are not necessarily worried about the insomnia as such, but they are just stressed, uh, they have a stress and anxiety through work and through the environment. What would you say about that? So. I would say that a temporary sleeplessness because of a stressful environment, so living situation, relationship situation, work situation, you might not be able to resolve the sleeping issue straight away. The thing is you can still optimize sleep. So if you're having a stressful situation going on in life, in the present, sleep might be wobbly. And again, that's normal. But what can people do to optimize the sleep that they are getting? There are actually a lot of things that people can do in that situation. The number one thing to prevent it from getting worse is to A, not worry about it. Recognize it as normal. It's your body trying to protect you. It's just in case the lion comes out from behind the bush, right? Yes. Um, it's our primitive brain doing us a survival favor. And then there are certain things that can be done if people are having difficulty falling asleep versus staying asleep. But there are some practical approaches that tend to center around, aside from the mindset piece, which is cr crucial, things like not taking naps, getting up at the same time every day so that consistent sleep drive can be built up. Very tempting to take naps or to have a lie-in, but actually that can feed the biological process whereby sleep becomes more difficult over time. So if mm -hmm. people are stressed out and they're having short-term difficulties that are troubling their sleep remembering that's normal a kind of normalizing it and b sticking to those basics like getting up at the same time every day get light get food and get movement first thing all of those things are tied together in our bodies and brains naturally we didn't evolve laying around in bed for two hours scrolling on our phone in the dark <laughs> for let's sure. use what we can especially when it's light out in the morning use what we can to help reinforce our natural ability to sleep.
for sure. Yes, the environment plays a huge role in that, right? And your habits, your lifestyle. So my question would be, of course, we know what is the ideal for us to follow the circadian rhythm, right? Mm -hmm. To try to have a time for everything, for waking up, for food, for exercise. But we know that some industries of work, there are, yeah, depending on where we work, we don't have this much option. So what would be your recommendations for people that don't have this control? They are not necessarily going through something temporary. temporary. They are going through this as an ongoing lifestyle or career choice. What would be your recommendations on that? So if somebody is in a, say, a career that is generating stress for them and they're staying in that career because they have to. They've got to keep the roof over their heads. They've got to feed the kids. They have to do these things. But mm -hmm. they know that it's that is the situation generating the stress and that can also have a knock-on effect on sleep. So my approach to this is really a mindfulness one mm -hmm. and it's about recognizing where we can place our focus. We can choose to focus on the grouchy person that comes to our checkout. We can choose to focus on the colleague that is getting on our nerves. We can mm -hmm. choose to pour lots of energy into thinking and feeling about specific situations in our environment, or we can acknowledge that we have feelings about those and then make a different choice about where we want to spend our emotional time and energy. It is that emotional time and energy being fed into things that we can't control because we've made a choice to be in a certain place. So we're going to be exposed to these things. We don't have, that doesn't mean that we have to spend 100% of our time and emotional energy fueling it. Mm -hmm. We make questionable choices about how we spend our emotional energy. And a lot of it's out of habit. And until we, we realize actually we can step back and we can choose how we want to respond to a situation instead of just reacting to it, we just continue to engage in the same habits. We all have habits. The brain is good at creating habits because it's very efficient, which mm -hmm. is sometimes it's dumb in the habits that it creates when it comes to these sorts of things, not necessarily helpful to us in the long term. So I like a mindfulness practice. It doesn't have to be formal meditation, simply stepping outside of the were. And observing it creates a little bit of space because we can't be observing the problem and be inside the problem at the same time. So if we can step back and create a little space, we've already created a little gap. The more we practice finding that gap between ourselves and the situation, the more we recognize we have a choice in how we respond to it instead of just reacting to it. Yes, especially if it's an ongoing situation, ongoing environment, we need to pay more attention to this because we know it's not something temporary. We need to take action. Yeah. Otherwise, we become victims of the situation, but it's our choice yes. at the same time. Yes, yes. And it can be really sad to recognize that sometimes we choose to put ourselves in the victim seat by not finding that we actually have another choice. So mm -hmm. temporarily, if somebody is in, a, is in a situation, ultimately, we all have choices about the situation that we're in, but it's sometimes very difficult to make the choice to remove yourself from the situation. So it, it appears impossible. So yes, we stay in that situation. Maybe it's six months, maybe it's a year, maybe it's five years. But what do you do in that meantime? with your emotional energy really is the answer to trying to keep arousal low. It's the difficult, it's the, di it's the dis difference between pain and suffering. Like mm -hmm. the situation can be really painful. Like I can cut myself. It can be really painful or the situation can be one that generates a lot of suffering. I could pour salt in the wound if I chose to really make myself miserable. And we've wow. all been there in one way, shape or form or another. We've all had the relationship where we sit there and we, wait for the text message to come in instead of going and doing something that we want to do, right? That's the difference between the pain and the suffering. And we actually have a lot more choice in how we end up feeling in the end than we recognize usually when we're in the middle of it. Yes, beautiful, very powerful. 
And who tends to be your clients? What what are the main symptoms that they come to you to? What is it just the sleep or an overall stress and anxiety concern? And then what benefits they can experience through your work? So people with insomnia, they're the people who come to me because that's what I do. And mm -hmm. so the people who come to me will have difficulty falling asleep, staying asleep or waking up too early. And mm -hmm. usually by the time that somebody recognizes that sleep therapy is a thing, because mm -hmm. you don't read a lot about it online, you read about, oh, take this, try that, this pillow spray, this magic mask, you get all mm -hmm. of these fixed things thrown at you in your social media feeds. By the time they come around to understand that sleep therapy is really a thing, they've usually had insomnia for quite a long time. And a lot of them will be in a position of having spent an enormous amount of time and energy trying to fix their insomnia on their own. Mm -hmm. So they will come with a lot of anxiety around their sleeplessness. Mm -hmm. The really interesting thing is that people who do develop insomnia tend to be more anxious people anyway because mm -hmm. they are, or they tend to be perfectionists. So perfectionism and anxiety can go together. It can be a loose relationship. But anybody who's anxious about a change or really wants things to look a certain way, like the perfectionist, mm -hmm. when they have a short-term bout of sleeplessness, they get very upset about it. And then that fuels the problem. So there's usually an underlying layer of anxiousness or personality trait that makes them more prone in the first place. And sometimes if that's out of hand, it can be difficult to work on the sleep piece. But for the most part, people who make their way to me tend to do really well with the right balance of behavioral change. Mm -hmm. And I'm not talking about sleep hygiene here because a lot of people think sleep therapy is sleep hygiene. Make sure the room is dark and make sure it's cold and make sure that your bed is comfortable and all these, those are all fine and dandy things. There's nothing necessarily wrong with those in and of themselves, but they, fixing those things does not fix insomnia because if it did, nobody would have insomnia because you can read all those rules on the internet. Mm. It is it, this arousal piece is the key piece. For example, people who are like, my room is dark. Why can't I sleep? The fear mm -hmm. of light coming in the room is what is keeping that person awake. Yeah, so these uh, things are fine, but they're quite, they can be quite neutral in and of themselves. Nothing wrong with having a dark room, but we mm -hmm. all know people who can sleep in broad daylight. True. So darkness True. isn't, it's ideal, but it's not necessary. But when you have people who are taping their blinds to the side of the window to keep every bit of light out, it's the anxiety that is creating the problem there, not the light. So if people have been in this cycle of trying things and trying things, but haven't been doing the evidence-based things that actually really do affect sleep drive, really do anchor the circadian rhythm and work on this arousal piece, mm -hmm. they get stuck. Sometimes people are stuck for quite a long time by the time they reach me, but it's true. you can have actually quite quick transformations if the right tools are, are taught, essentially. I like to see myself as a coach and teacher mm -hmm. because people learn skills and mindset attitudes and orientations that they can then yes. take forward for the rest of their life just because somebody has recovered from insomnia doesn't mean that they never have poor sleep again and I'm a good example of that I've had two really bad bouts of insomnia in the past and people say oh you're a sleep therapist you must sleep perfectly every single night and I don't I get stressed out too right <laughs> the difference is sure. I've got a toolbox now I know how to manage that short-term sleeplessness. So I like to see myself as being able to empower people to use the correct tools for them so that they, the next time something happens and they have a bump in their sleep, they know what to do. Yes, I can talk from my own experience. I'll share a little bit of my experience as well because when there was a time where I used to sleep badly, I wouldn't say maybe insomnia as such, but the quality of my sleep was really poor. And I would re rely on Valerian tablets. Yeah. And at some point I was having like two Valerian tablets uh, every night for quite some time, I think maybe a year mm -hmm. having the tablets. And then there was this anxiety when I didn't have it, like 
I didn't have in my tablet, so then I'm not going to sleep. Or the same as you mm -hmm. said, in terms of the light or the temperature of the room, when you are in different environments that maybe you can control, you become hyper-conscious about all these different elements. And not every time you're going to control, you're going to be able to control the yeah. environment. And also you might control the environment, but again, it's about going to the root cause. Why is it that you're not sleeping in the first place mentally, not that just is the environment? such a good point to connect those pieces. That that ang the anxiety around, ooh, what if I don't have my tablets or my pillow spray or insert the right mask or the right amount of darkness or why all these things are not set up perfectly, then I'm not going to sleep. Well, that's a self-fulfilling prophecy right there. You're already anxious about not sleeping. The anxiousness then will keep you awake. And then the person will say, see, I told you it was because I didn't have my tablets. I didn't sleep. <laughs> yes. I know it, it I'm becomes, a bit hurt because it's a total trap. <laughs> I am a bit hurt because I use a mask and I used to wear the, the tampons in the, how do you call it? the earplugs earplugs <laughs> i used to wear earplugs and and there was this anxiety about i didn't even realize but now that you're saying now i realize that i had this but i'm still using them. these things are neutral though in and of themselves they're neutral mm -hmm. so just as an example i when i travel i'm a very light sleeper mm -hmm. when i travel or if I know it's going to be very windy, there's going to be a big storm, there's going to be a lot of noise outside, I will wear noise-canceling earphones when I'm sleeping. It's not because I'm afraid that I'm not going to sleep, though. I don't have any anxiousness about it because I now know that if I don't sleep well, I might have a rough day, the next night will be better. And the next night's better because I'm not worried about it. So wearing the, a mask is a neutral activity. The intent behind it is where sometimes the trouble lies. And actually, there's a little bit of research behind the use of masks in people who sleep well. They can improve people's sleep quality. Now, that's a different thing than curing insomnia, of course. And if they're being used out of fear, slightly slippery slope, but they are neutral. So if you like your mask, it's, I don't see a problem with it. <laughs> that's good. I'm relieved now. <laughs> <laughs> now, just going back into the question before, are there any patterns in terms of um, the people that have, you mentioned people that have anxiety, that they already have uh, sleep problems as a chronic issue, but do you find that there are any patterns on who comes to you in terms of what they do? or age, or any sort of conditions that they might have? Yeah, so a lot of people in life transitions, so people who are transitioning out of family phases, for example, mm -hmm. they have little kids and their kids are now grown up, and so they've mm -hmm. had issues with sleep, and then the kids are sleeping and then they're not. It's very common. And that, of course, encompasses people who work in professional capacities in, and laboring capacities, lots of different types of jobs. It doesn't seem to be employment specific. I would say that amongst the people who come to me, they're probably more women. But mm -hmm. that's not to say it's because women have more insomnia necessarily. But women are known to seek help more often than men are. Yes. So that can be a little bit of a selection bias that appears as if women have more. I do see more women generally between the ages of 27, 28 to 55, I think would be the where the, the most number of people are. That Even would be young people. Yes, as well. And yes, including young people. Now, the yeah. interesting thing about the younger people mm -hmm. is that sometimes they will be actually suffering from a circadian rhythm disorder, but they will think mm -hmm. they have insomnia. And so the differentiation uh, can be really important. Circadian rhythm disorders outside of my scope of practice, they require very specialist medical intervention. Most people oh. find, and I'm talking about the, a couple of them, there's many different circadian rhythm disorders, but early phase, so people who are the real early, and the night owls, people that, who 
have very hard time falling asleep before one or two o'clock in the morning and then really struggle with a nine to five. Mm-hmm. Those people tend to, for example, that latter group might say, I lay in bed for four hours and I can't fall asleep. How long has that been going on? As long as I can remember. Started when I was a teenager. Teenagers all go through that phase when they mm-hmm. start developing secondary sex characteristics, mm-hmm. but their brain changes in a way. And sometimes it stays. So you go through that. I have an 18 year old who's in that right in the middle of that right now. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to get him to go to sleep before three o'clock in the morning is always an interesting conversation, but people can be perfectly happy being mm-hmm. early birds or being night owls. It is actually, if you have a spectrum of people, early birds and night owls, and then a group in the middle, they fall in the normal spectrum of human variation. Mm-hmm. Other circadian disorders that are very different and cause a lot more problems for people. But within this spectrum, people will complain of waking up too early, not being able to fall asleep, and being able to identify it as a circadian rhythm issue as opposed to insomnia completely changes how it's managed and approached. And mm-hmm. the people that I identify it as having a delayed phase, our classic night owl, they can feel a huge sense of relief that actually they don't have a problem. They were worried they had a problem. They didn't have a problem. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean that their natural rhythm fits neatly into a nine to five. And a lot of people I know actually become self-employed because they can, or become freelancers where they can manage their own time and their own schedule in their own way. And are perfectly happy doing that. So it's also understanding about your own DNA as such, how you are designed, how you built. Maybe there's nothing wrong with you. It's just that you are different. You work in a different cycle. Would that be right to say? Absolutely. And, And it's really important to know that our need for sleep is biologically determined. It's genetic. If people ask me, you know, do I have to get eight hours of sleep? I'm like, if your genetics is telling you that eight hours is your number, yes, but there's a range there. Mm-hmm. And some people do really well on six and a half or seven. Most people sleep seven and three quarter hours. Mm-hmm. People can need eight to eight and a half to nine hours. I tend to need more sleep. So the variation is actually quite large. So mm-hmm. how do you know how much sleep you need? If you fall asleep within 20, sometimes 25, but Mm -hmm. no faster than five minutes, you wake up a couple of times in the night, but you fall back to sleep relatively quickly and you wake up and you have the energy that you need to live your life and enjoy your day. Whatever number that is, is the number that's right for you. Saying everybody needs eight hours is like saying everybody needs to wear a size eight top. It's just not realistic. It's not true. So that actually can cause problems for people who need less because there are all these sound bites out there that say if you don't get eight hours all these horrible things are going to happen to you that messaging scares people into obsessing about their sleep which actually makes the problem worse so you take a perfectly healthy sleeper who's happy with their seven hours And they start doing things that make their sleep worse, trying to get eight hours of sleep. And so what Mm -hmm. do they do? They lay in bed. I hope I get another hour. I hope I'm going to go to bed an hour early. They start laying in bed awake. That is actually how they induce insomnia in experiments so that they can test medication. They take a healthy sleeper. They take a bunch of healthy sleepers who sleep a normal amount of time. They're happy with their sleep. They make them stay in bed for many hours, more than they can actually sleep, and it completely ruins their sleep. Then they test the medication on them. And then after they're done with the medication tests, the fix for this is to shrink the amount of time somebody is spending in bed awake. And you can reverse that with careful application of that particular technique. So people actually start doing things to try to get the right number because Mm -hmm. they can pull this messaging and that messes with their sleep. People with insomnia, I'm certainly not saying that insomnia is a healthy thing and you want to strive for it and then it has no consequence, but obsessing about any correlations, not causations, correlations between any sleep issue and other outcomes is just not helpful. It just makes the situation worse. 
Yes, understanding that not one size fits all. Understanding Absolutely. our individuality. Yes. Uh, there was something I wanted to touch on, whether I will see if I can remember. For now, what are your, um, although you already mentioned throughout uh, some really nice tips, how would you, maybe the top three to five tips for people to improve sleep, but not, I know that we have all this, as you said, hygiene sleep, the basics that everybody might have heard about it, but maybe mm -hmm. not just tips, a step, step by step with consciousness as well. Things maybe that will bring people to, okay, this is where I need to get help. And then this is what I have to do. What will be this, the process, the method they need to follow? When should they seek help? And then what are your recommendations on that? Wow, that's a big question. <laughs> Let me see if I can get some of the pieces. So we'll start with some non-sleep hygiene rule type. If you put the sleep hygiene rule over here, one of the things that actually have evidence to support them mm -hmm. in improving sleep, because again, sleep hygiene, there's nothing wrong with it. If you have insomnia already, sleep hygiene is not going to fix the insomnia because of all of these things that we've talked about. Mm -hmm. So what can somebody do if they don't have insomnia or if they do, because there might be a wide variety of people that watch, what are some things that they can do? So my number one tip actually is to stop tracking your sleep. People get really obsessive, especially because we have all these gadgets that we can now get a lot of information off of. It becomes really tempting to over monitor and to watch every single night and how it changes and what do we do last night and what do we what should we do this night? We want to get away from thinking about sleep when we're awake because when we're sleeping we or if we're not worried about our sleep in any way, we don't do that. The only thing that checking the time in the middle of the night does is give you a place to hang sleep anxiety. So if you use something like this, any kind of device on your wrist, A, know that they're not accurate anyway. Or if you have a phone that has an app that feels your bed moving, again, same thing. They're not accurate. They're getting better, but they're not accurate. Certainly not enough to start worrying about just to stop using them. All they do is fuel arousal, right? And sleeping difficulties are fueled by our arousal system. So that would be my number one thing. Number two is more of a lifestyle thing than a sleep specific thing. And is that is to have a mindfulness practice of some kind, whether you want to call it taking 15 minutes out to get into your body, whether you want to call it a formal meditation practice, whether you want to do a quote unquote walking meditation every day, whether you want to just do daily activities where you are immersed in your sensations and your feelings and being in touch with the present moment and not running into the past in your head and running into the future because that's where anxiety lives in the past and in the future developing that as a 24 7 thing is actually the thing that the side effects is what helps people sleep but it dramatically improves your quality of life it allows you to find that gap where you can choose how you respond to things in your environment instead of reacting to them out of habit and unconsciously. That's not a common quote unquote sleep tip, but I would mm -hmm. say that is a really important one for reducing overall arousal. But the side effects being there's a lot of benefits to, to sleep. Another one, and this kind of overlaps with a little bit of sleep hygiene, when we're talking about the arousal system and a wind down at, before bed, a lot of people look at a wind down routine as a fixed thing. Like I do this and I do this and I do this and I do this. People who sleep well don't often have a conscious routine. So beware of making a conscious routine to try to force sleep to happen. Because whenever we're trying to force sleep to happen, we're sending a message to our arousal system that if we don't sleep, we're in danger. I like to look at the wind down time for bed, which again is neutral and it can be helpful as long as it's not all these half twos. Look at it as a time for you to put away the demands of the day and do something for yourself. 
The first thing we do when we wake up in the morning, most of us, is we start looking at our phone. Okay, what email do I have to answer? We automatically are geared toward putting energy outside into the world, into other people's agendas, and being responsive all day. Yes. I have found a lot of benefit for myself in changing that in the morning, but I'm going to get to that in a second. But mm -hmm. doing that in the evening, I think, is absolutely vital for our well-being and for our sleep. Being able to reclaim that energy for ourselves and do something that we enjoy doing. Too many people mm -hmm. view a bedtime routine as I can't do this and I can't do that and I can't eat and I can't have a glass of wine and I can't and I have to take a bath 90 minutes beforehand and I have to use the right lavender salt and I have to, all those rules just stress me out thinking about them. Yes. So don't create a spreadsheet to try to identify the magic routine. Close the laptop or cross the threshold into your home if you're commuting and leave the outside world outside, set an intention. Sometimes you, you have somebody you have to interact with when you get home, whether it's a little person or it's a big person. Set your mm -hmm. intention to make that a positive thing and always set an intention to spend some time doing something that you enjoy. It really doesn't matter what it is. If you want to spend five minutes scrolling on your phone, looking at something fun on, you pick your favorite social media platform, that few minutes of blue light is going to have much less of an effect on your sleep than you fearfully following a set of rules in order to try to make sleep happen. Yes, because as you said, so much rules, especially with this idea of now biohacking. We use, yeah. we track, we have the ring, we have the iWatch and this and so many gadgets. And then all the rules we need to optimize, optimize. And sometimes it works on the other way around. Yes. And everybody wants to be the best that they can be, right? But the problem with that comes when that means that we're always dissatisfied with where we're at. And there's a lot of peace that can be found when we find satisfaction where we're at. And that doesn't mean we don't keep striving, but we, if, again, if we come to the present moment with where we're at right now, we can always find good things there. The mm -hmm. idea that we ha always have to be doing something different or better is a bit of a slight on where we're at right now. So it's, yes, you want to keep moving forward and finding acceptance for where we're at right now. There's a huge amount of peace in not constantly striving to perfect our sleep, perfect our diet, to perfect our workout. Does that mean yes. we don't think about our diet, our sleep, and our workout? No. Yeah, it's all about the balance of it. Yes. So absolutely. those, I think, are three very intertwined things that just by themselves can actually go a long way to helping people with their sleep, whether they have sleeping issues or not. For sure. That's beautiful. Well, beyond the standard stuff. I personally yes. think starting the day the way you intend to finish the day is where it's at. I went from waking up in the morning. So if we're going to go to tip four, I used to wake up and immediately go into, I'm still in bed. I'm not even dressed. And I'm looking at all the things that I need to do. So what am I doing when I'm showering, getting dressed? I'm just started the day stressed out about all the energy that I have to put. Mm -hmm. I have to remember this. My morning is completely changed and that makes my sleep better. So if we're talking about when the sleep cycle starts, doesn't mm -hmm. start when we go to sleep. It starts when we get up in the morning with the biological things, the food, the movement, the light, yes. but psychologically as well, setting ourselves up with some time for ourselves. How do we want to live our, mm -hmm. how do we want to feel in that interaction with somebody? How do we want to step forward? It just allows you that buffer so that you're not constantly feeling like you're at the mercy of everybody else's agenda. And you save yes. that energy for yourself and it actually helps you sleep better. You're happier yes. during the day, so you sleep better, <laughs> essentially. And it's the, and this practice is that we think we're going to waste time, but actually you gain time because then during the day, you deal with the situations in a much more productive way and you dwell less in the problems because you can solve problems faster. And it's, as, as you said, when people get caught up in the, okay, I'm stressed, I have anxiety, and then I cannot sleep. And then you think your thinking patterns or your think process is a bit slow, and then less solutions come to you. And then it becomes all these different things that don't yeah. work well, not yeah. just the sleep. 
it's is it better to make decisions about things you have to do from a place where you're standing in your own feet or is it better to make a decision when you're feeling totally backed into a corner and panicked and anxious? Yes. Usually definitely. we make better decisions when we feel like we're standing on our own two feet. <laughs> yes. It's more balanced. For sure. Yeah. Tracy, that's really nice. Just to wrap it up, do you have any other considerations, anything you would like to add around the topic or from your own experience and practice? I think based on the kind of emotional state that most people reach me in, that the most important thing to remember is that no matter how long you've had insomnia, if you're not sleeping well, and no matter if you're on medication or what the situation is, there's hope and hope for you to recover from that situation. And while you are in that situation, while you're recovering, you can still live a good life. You can still live a life that makes you happy. It is completely within everybody's power to be able to do that. And a lot of people say, when I sleep better, then I'll be happy. When I get eight hours a night, then I'll have energy to go out and I'll go do the things that I like to do. You can mm -hmm. still live a happy life. You can still make choices that make you happy. You can still engage with people that you care about and you can still do the things you love even while you're recovering before you get to that end goal of sleeping for the number of hours that you feel like you need to feel good. You can still live your life while you're recovering. So don't make the choice to keep yourself in a box until someday in the future, your sleep looks the way you want it. Because to be honest and get waxing a little philosophical, life is really short and we never know how long we get. Yes. And nobody wants to turn around and say, oh, I'm glad I waited until I slept better to go do this or see this person or to take that trip. Really important. Just remember, we always have a choice. Even if it feels difficult, we can make decisions and do things that make us happy even in the meantime. Wow, beautiful. Perfect. Tracy, thank you so much for sharing with us your knowledge around the subject That's so that we can bring, shine more light into this and people really seek out for help when they, maybe for, hopefully before it becomes chronic, right? Yeah. But uh, yes, thank you so much. Yes. If you need any support to sleep, make sure you reach out to Tracy. Thank you so much for listening to us today. Thank you so much for having me. It's been wonderful. Thank you. Thank you.